How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily podcast on the New York Knicks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, my city and wide. Yeah, let me take my time. I'm on my grind. Gotta make sure that we shine. What's yours is mine, and what's mine is yours. HR to the death and first always my team for sure. Go roll. Can't fall off. Got a family support. Gotta make sure we succeed and reach our dream. Now live through me. I'm about to take off. Hello and welcome to the Lockdown Knicks podcast. This is episode 40. I am your host, Jared Dubin. Today we will be talking about Carmelo Anthony and the Slam Top 50. Before we do that, a few quick notes. I want to say thank you once again to Sean Scott for the intro music and his manager, LeVar, for the hookup. The song is called Good Times. It's produced by Pav Bundy. You can find Sean's music on SoundCloud and follow him on both Twitter and Instagram at Sean Scott HR. I also want to be sure to note that the Locked On Knicks podcast and the Locked On Podcast Network are presented in partnership with FanRag Sports. You can check out todaysfastbreak.com for their content, and you can find a link to the podcast on their Knicks page, as well as the archive of the podcast on the bottom of all Knicks-related articles. When you're checking that out, be sure to check out Locked On NBA, hosted by David Locke, the radio voice of the Utah Jazz, and Locked On Fantasy Basketball, hosted by Josh Lloyd, for all your fantasy basketball needs. And if you are a New York sports fan, please check out Locked On Giants, hosted by Art Stapleton of The Record, and Locked On Jets, hosted by John Butchko of Gangrene Nation. Be sure to subscribe to all of those podcasts, as well as the Locked On Knicks podcast on iTunes, and leave us a review, preferably a Bill Walker star rating, that's five stars. And you can find the podcast on Audioboom and or Stitcher as well. And with that... Let's get to today's guest, my friend Ian Levy, senior NBA editor at Fansided. Ian, thank you for coming on, man. I appreciate it. How are you? I am doing well. It's my pleasure. I'm excited to be on. I am excited to talk once again about Carmelo Anthony not being happy with his ranking in something. (laughs) Um, It seems like this happens every year at this point. Um, Carmelo was ranked uh, by Slam Magazine, which, you know, Slam... Online is counting down the top 50 players in the NBA. And earlier today, either it was earlier today, which is Thursday or last night, Wednesday, uh, they came out with Carmelo's ranking, which was as the 15th best player in the league. Um, Carmelo went into their Instagram comments and commented on that and was like, don't play yourself, or I can't remember the exact quote. But he expressed unhappiness with, uh, with that ranking and then, you know, put it on his page as well, saying it was like fuel to the fire, motivation, whatever you want to call it. Um, so far, they have come out with number 14 and number 13, which was Blake Griffin at number 14 and Clay Thompson at number 13. I've also written down the 12 people that have yet to be ranked, so that are also ahead of Carmelo. But uh, this is, it's just funny, right? Like that he cares about this. 
Yeah, I mean, it's sort of hard. I mean, it, this is like par for the course, right? Like everybody, every player, it seems like, who ends up in one of these rankings is inevitably frustrated uh, with, with where they land. Um, and it's, yeah, it's sort of hard to tell what's serious, what they um, actually care about, and what's, you know, sort of a put on. Um, you know, I am not a professional athlete or even a very good amateur athlete, but I imagine there's a certain amount of recognition requisite overconfidence that you need to get to a level like this um and so you know it's it's hard to tell what's uh, what he really cares about and what is sort of uh, you know protecting his reputation uh, you know for lack of a better word right and there was like so demar Derozan got angry about his ranking i don't remember what number it was but in the sports illustrated top 100 um carmelo i think was number 20 in the Sports Illustrated Top 100, I think he got angry about that too. Um, I just looked it up. He was 24 on the Sports Illustrated Top 100 this year. DeRozan was or Carmelo? Oh, sorry, Carmelo was 24 in the Sports Illustrated Top 100. Oh, okay. Because um, that was my initial reaction. I was like, he's mad about being 15. Like, 15 seems maybe even a little high or a little charitable, and so I wanted to see where he where he felt some of these other lists. 15 is what? That's like the top. Three percent of NBA players, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, maybe this is not the right way to think about it, but it's sort of roughly, you're like, if you're a top fifteen player, you are the best player on an above average team in the NBA. You know, like you're you're in uh, the best player on the top half of the teams in the right. league. You're an above average top. You're an above average best player. Is is the way? Yeah. Like if the if you gave the if you gave each of the 30 teams the best player, like 15 would be in the top half. Like that's really good. <laughs> it's just funny that the, that, that like that's seen as an insult somehow. Yeah. I would love to have, uh, have all of these guys rank their top 100 and see where they fall, you know, sort of compared to where the general perception of them is. It's Um, funny because the NFL does that and it's like universally derided as being like a horrible ranking and these guys don't know what they're talking about because they have, you know, they'll have like, you know, 15 running backs in the top 100 and like four offensive linemen or something. And it's like these guys should know more than anyone how good and how important linemen are. And I feel like it would be sort of the same in the NBA where you would wind up with, like, if they did a top 100, you'd have, like, the 50 top scorers would all be in there and you'd have, like, a bunch of guys that play defense and or, like, good 3 and D guys and stuff that didn't wind up making it and people would be like, what are these guys doing? Well, yeah, I mean, that often happens, you know. Uh, I mean, it seems like guys... uh, when you get these sort of generic quotes about players that that uh, are really appreciated by other players, or you know, uh, I don't know, these generic quotes about how they sort of estimate each other, it's never um, it's never really like about fit or sort of like versatility or things like that. It seems like they uh, tend to gravitate towards the most sort of like obvious um, kinds of things, you know, scoring points per game, things like that. Um, and I don't know if this is a great example of this, but you look at like the rookie survey, and I can't remember what it is. It's like five, six, seven years in a row they've been terrible at picking who's the best, uh, you know, who's going to be the best in the rookie class and who's going to win rookie of the year. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it's fair to say that 
players maybe are, are too close or too much on the inside or um, you know it's, it's sort of a, uh, a strange perspective to try and, and, and sort of see out and, and you know be a, uh, an impartial judge. In, in fairness too, Carmelo has always for a while now been a guy whose game is admired more by players and even coaches than it is by you know by media or fan or non Knicks fans I would say um, you know whether it's because of like you know the the elite skill that he has as a scorer and, and I don't know if they can appreciate it more because they have to try to stop it or whether it's just they value it they value having an elite skill more than having um, maybe a more well rounded skill set. Um, but that's definitely been a, a disconnect between you know people within the league and people who are observing the league. I think. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting too because I wonder if it's a reflection of, of the 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 way that uh, fans and media maybe are really bad at sort of defining the, the question and, and what we're asking and what we're looking for. Um, you think about who is the best player, it's sort of an abstract question, and best player could mean sort of who has the most talent, who has the uh, sort of the most extreme skill set versus who is the best at helping their team win, and those things, you know, there's a Venn diagram, there's some places where those things overlap, but it's not necessarily always the case. You know, there's players who are extremely skilled and extremely talented in, in really obvious and visceral ways who don't necessarily help their team or improve their team and so you know it's it's um it's the same thing stats guys i think sort of get frustrated about when people use uh you know real plus minus or something like that as as an uh an articulation of of a list or a ranking who's the best player so and so you know has a higher real plus minus or a higher box plus minus ergo they're a higher player or a better player and it's um you know, when you're talking about who's the best, there's all of these these sort of different categories and 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 these degrees to which you can remove context. And in terms of how you measure it, you can't ever really remove context. Or the more you remove context, the more you're sort of drifting into the hypothetical. Um, so maybe that's that's where players are. You know, it's it's who they play against, and and when they're thinking about who's the best, they're not thinking about. Um, you know, who does the most for their team? It's like, you know, who is the hardest to guard? Who do we have to spend the most time worried about? Um, you know, who who's the guy I have to pay the most attention to on defense when I'm on the floor? Um, and that, that may not sort of necessarily overlap with the most value or, or who, you know, helps their team win the most. That's a really good point. And I think that, you know, it's definitely specifically applies to Carmelo too because I feel like if you did a ranking of you know, who are the most talented guys in the league, I feel like he would score more highly on that than he does on the, you know, who brings the most value and helps their team win the most kind of ranking. And that's not to say that he doesn't help his team win or doesn't have a lot of value. He absolutely does. But I think that that's a lot of the, you know, the difference in perception is that he has all of this talent and people see, you know, people that are observing the league see a bit of a gap between the amount of talent he has and the amount that his team wins. And it's it sort of seems like it, his impact might be less than his talent, if that makes sense. And I feel like that might be where the disconnect between 
observers and players are also. And it seems like his situation has always been one that sort of isolates his talent separate from the team. Um, you know, certainly in New York, the past couple of years, he's been on teams that are not very good, um, you know, are, are sort of facing a talent deficit, and that sort of highlights him, you know, as an isolation scorer. Um, and even, you know, sort of right when he came over and they had uh, Amare Stoudemire, and then those years with Tyson Chandler, it was... Um, you know, they had a lot of talent, but it wasn't a good fit necessarily. And so, again, his talent sort of um, isolated almost feels like a pun because of his isolation scoring. But, you know, he, he was sort of standing out from the context of his team, you know, because of his style of play. That was that was sort of how those teams worked, is, is, is having him sort of separate from what was going on. Uh, you think about him with the Golden State Warriors and, you know, obviously uh, – I don't think any rational person would argue that he's as good as, as Kevin Durant is right now. But in, in terms of what Kevin Durant's adding to the Warriors, I, Anthony in that situation, in that kind of context, in that kind of team, it seems like he could offer, you know, I don't know, 90, 95% of what Durant's going to give the Warriors next year. Um, yeah. And, and you know, in that context, all of these things that um, are, are maybe disruptive or, um, you know, sort of make him stand out, you know, on a team with, with ill-fitting talent or not very good talent, put him on a really good team, you know, in the right sort of context, and all of a sudden, you know, he's just a really awesome cog in the machine. Right. And, you know, we see that in the Olympics a lot. Like, he's been, like, obviously that's a different story because the just the level of talent is so much greater than you could have in the NBA on any team. But it's also, he's never really, you know, on his Denver teams or on his New York teams, been put in the best possible position to succeed. Like, there are obviously occasions where he's been put in position to succeed, and he's had a lot of success. But... You know, if you think about, you know, the optimal way to build a team around Carmelo, I'm not sure he's ever had that where some other guys have. And that, you know, that sort of highlights the deficiencies that he has, which, you know, they are there and they are noticeable when, you know, he's put in a position where he has to, like you said, isolate all the time. Or, you know, is, is left out to dry defensively because they, they don't have someone who can always take the toughest matchup and he can be a guy that, sort of relaxes occasionally on defense like some other guys can. And he hasn't been in situations where he's been able to just do the things he does well and not have to worry about the things he doesn't do well. And I think that, you know, that was a lot of the reason that people were frustrated with his free agency decision a couple years ago. You know, maybe he wouldn't have been in that position if he had gone to Chicago like everyone wanted him to based on how that team turned out. But, you know, he hasn't been able to do that with the Knicks either. And... You know, I'm, I'm not sure if we'll be able to see him in the best possible position to succeed with the Knicks just based on the way their roster is constructed now. But that also doesn't mean that he's not, you know, I mean, even being one of the most 15 talented guys is incredible. But, I mean, you could argue talent-wise he's better than that, uh, even if his impact is merely, I, I can't believe I'm saying that, merely 15th. Yeah. And I think it's one of those things where... Um it's often hard to tell. I know I have a hard time with this a lot watching guys. It's hard to tell um, when you talk about their style of play and the decisions they make and shot selection and things like that. Being on the outside and, and watching 
from at home on TV. And I, I would imagine even for media people who are in the locker room, you know, and are covering the team on a regular basis or a semi-regular basis, it's sort of hard to tell what's obstinance and what's like direction from the coach and the team. And so, um, you know, at, at home, you can be frustrated with Carpello Anthony's shot selection and feel like he should be taking different shots. He should be operating differently in the flow of the offense. Um, you know, he he should be moving the ball more. He should be getting shots in different spots. But it's it's sometimes it's hard to tell if he's making those decisions completely on his own or if he's getting validation for those decisions from the coaching staff if you know if he uh, everybody's an expert at home but you know if those coaches and those people on the bench who um, you know however you view them as experts but if they're the ones saying like you know Carmelo in isolation is our best chance to win or you know Carmelo you know working in the, in the mid post and, and just letting everybody kind of hang out and watch um, if that gives us our, our offense the best chance of efficiency um, you know we got to go for it and I, I think you can think of a lot of the guys around the league who um, you know I think fans are frustrated with the way they handle themselves and I think to some degree we probably put too much of that on the player as though the player is completely in charge of, of how they are or how they're functioning in the offense and how their teammates are functioning around them and that you know the, the, the coaching staff is allowing that and is, is sort of making that a, a conscious decision at some level. That also gets into the um, you know the aesthetics versus you know talent and production debate like I feel like a lot of people, because of the way that either he wants to play or has been forced to play based on situation, there are a lot of people that don't like watching him when he plays in the NBA because of all of the isolation and the holding the ball and stuff like that. And that sort of factors in to where he quote-unquote ranks within the league. Like I know for, for me, I don't enjoy watching Kyrie Irving, even though I recognize how valuable all of the you know, crazy dribble stuff that he does is. And that, I think, too much over the last few years for me weighed into not necessarily how I rank him, but where I viewed him within, you know, the league's continuum or strata or whatever you want to call it. And I feel like that applies for a lot of people, most likely to Carmelo as well. Yeah, for sure. He's... um yeah, he, he can at, t- at times be grating to watch. And it's one of those things where uh, it, it's fun to watch when it's working. You know, when he's drilling contested jumpers, uh, it's it's great to watch. You know, that's fun. Uh, but when those shots are falling, all of a sudden they look terrible and, and, and sort of the, <laughs> the joy of those games dissipates rather quickly. Um, and that's that's definitely a factor too. There's a lot of guys around the league who maybe are are more effective than their reputations, and because they sort of have an ugly game, it it uh, you know affects how they're viewed. Yeah, and it's also like because we've seen Melo in other contexts and seen how devastating and how aesthetically pleasing he can be in those other contexts. I think it, that factors in also because people, you know, it's not just the projection of, you know, how good he is based on the way he looks, but also the way he could look and and what we've seen him do, like, again, on Team USA. And it's like, oh, man, if he just played like that all the time, he'd be so much better. And, like, maybe, like, probably would be better, but it also would be more fun. 
And that, I think, would also make people appreciate it more. Yeah, for sure. So the question with Mello, though, is like, has he ever been in a position where he could play the way he does in the Olympics? I mean, even even accommodating the fact that he's not been on a team that's as talented as those Olympic teams, he's never really been on a roster where he can just sort of play like that, right? I right. Mean, even that the 2011 or sorry, 2012-13 team, which is what people hold up as sort of like the mellow at the four ideal since he's been with the Knicks, even that, so much of that team was still based on him isolating. Um, and they they tried to go away from mellow at the four basically any time they could. You know, Mike Woodson ditched it two or three different times during the season, including in the playoff series against the Pacers <laughs> that they lost. Um, but, you know, even that season, again, it wasn't like he was just... Uh, playing like he does in Team USA and, and simply um, a sniper and a rebounder and someone who, you know, wasn't isolating really or wasn't holding the ball. Um, you know, a lot of that season, even while he was taking a ton of threes and playing at the four and doing all those, you know, the, the shots as the trailer and things like that, you know, a lot of it was still the the standard what people have come to expect basically from Carmelo because nobody else in the team could really create shots on their own. And if the initial pick and rolls didn't work, like what else were they going to do other than let Carmelo isolate? Like they let J.R. Smith isolate also for the first four months of the season. And that didn't work at all. Um, and then in the last two months, he suddenly caught fire and started going to the basket all the time and got to the line. And that won him sixth man of the year. But for the first four months, basically unless they got a pick and roll right away, it was just Carmelo isolating. So, I, I, for, I'm not someone who sort of gets caught up in the the uh, the alpha beta discussion, or like somebody has to sort of be an alpha as a, an attribute of greatness. But um, what do you think about the idea that Carmelo, uh, you know, so maybe let's call him the the fifteenth best alpha in the league, but as a beta, you know, if he played with somebody else. Uh, of equal or greater talent, he might be the he might be one of the best betas in the league. What do you think about that idea? I think it's it might be better in theory than in practice, just because if you take um, if you take too many touches away, the fact that he's such a devastating scorer and and such a devastating scorer that can create for himself too, you know, some of his effectiveness would be muted. Like obviously, it's better if he could take as many catch and shoot shots as possible because catch-and-shoot mellow is the best mellow, but if you tilt things too much away from him, it takes away some of what makes him really good. Um, so I, I think it would definitely work, and he would be extremely good in that role, but it's that's not to say that that is what he needs to be and he can't be your number one guy. Like I think that you know, people used to say that kind of thing about plenty of other guys. Like, oh, you can't win with that guy. You can't be your best player. Like, I think that that line of argument is nonsense about almost anybody who's good enough to be an all-star player. Like, you just need to put the right guys around them and get lucky also. Like, you know, look at Dirk Nowitzki. Like, for years people were like, oh, you can't win. He doesn't play defense, blah, blah, blah. Then all of a sudden they get the right mix, they get lucky in the playoffs, they catch fire, their defense gets better in the playoffs, and they win the title. 
you know, Paul Pierce, people thought, couldn't win a title. And, you know, granted, he probably wasn't the best player on that team when they won. It was KG. But he was, you know, their number one off- option offensively. Um, you know, people thought LeBron couldn't win because he wasn't wired to win for some reason. Like, you know, it's, it, to me, it's, it's such a, it's like people will say that you can't win with that guy until you win with that guy. And I think that that's where Carmelo falls right now. Like, there are a lot of people that say you can't win with him. I don't think that's true. Um, I think you need to have the right mix and you need to get lucky, just like you do with pretty much anybody else. Is that the new iPhone? Yeah, got it on T-Mobile. Fastest iPhone deserves America's fastest LTE network. Introducing the amazing iPhone 8. It's the best iPhone yet, now on America's best unlimited network. For a limited time, save up to $300 on the amazing iPhone 8 after 24 monthly bill credits. And now join T-Mobile's iPhone upgrade program for free. Eligible trade-in and finance agreement required. If you cancel service, you may lose promo credits. Contact us for details. Video at 480p. Small fraction of users over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speed. See store for details. So hypothetically, this year, right, you're, uh, uh, if you're thinking about this Knicks team as, as Mello, Porzingis, and hypothetically, if you could add a third, uh, let's call them not quite a star, you know, uh, forgetting about... Um, salary caps and contracts and, and uh, things like that but uh, just stylistically if Porzingis is the future and Melo is the present like who do you think like fits and, and sort of lets both of those guys be their best um, you know right now or for the future because I mean right now I think the ideal I'm guy about right this season yeah, the, right now this season the ideal guy would be Chris Paul is mm-hmm. an elite point guard on both ends and it takes the ball out of Melo's hands enough that he can be that catch-and-shoot guy for a lot of the time. But he would, Chris would also know the times where he was like, okay, we got to get Melo the ball and let him go to work. And, you know, just his, his pick-and-roll mastery would be such a perfect fit with Chris Stapps in that pick-and-pop. They would both create so much space for each other. Uh, and Chris is an elite defender, too, at the point guard spot, which is something that the Knicks... I mean, they haven't had a good defensive point guard since, like, Charlie Ward. <laughs> that was quite a while ago. I remember the heyday of Charlie Ward. <laughs> right. And, look, I say that very reluctantly because Charlie Ward went to Florida State. Um, <laughs> and we all know how I feel about that school. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, to me, that would be the ideal guy. Is, is there someone else that you had in mind? I really don't know. Um, yeah, I guess I guess somebody like that who... who um, it's like, oh yeah, let's just pick the point god, you know, like. <laughs> no, but I, I mean, I think that's sort of the the balance that Mello maybe has been lacking. Somebody who can um, have a legitimate case for taking the ball out of his hands and will not sort of like uh, will not be a drag on his ego or his perception of himself. You know, if Chris Paul is, um, you know creating open three-pointers for somebody else on the wing or is, you know, drilling mid-range jumpers. I don't I don't think Melo's complaining about that. Right. Um, but at the same time, uh, sort of understands those moments when they're, you know, when their role is to operate as a setup guy for him. And I think, yeah, I mean, that sort of sounds like a perfect situation. Yeah, and, you know, who knows? It could happen next year. Yeah, here's hoping for Knicks fans. That's, I mean, that assumes that Derrick Rose is not the savior. Or Brandon Jennings. Brandon Jennings is definitely the savior um, of Knicks fans' hearts. Uh, he's already won his, won his place in their hearts for sure. Um, but speaking of Chris, though, so I want to go through that list of the other 12 guys ahead of Carmelo, 
um, on that slam list. Uh, only 13 and 14 are ranked so far, but I have the other 12 who haven't been ranked yet. So it was Blake Griffin at 14, Clay Thompson at 13, and then in some order the top 12 is LeBron, Durant, Curry, Westbrook, Harden, Kawhi, Kyrie, Paul George, Chris Paul, Boogie Cousins, Anthony Davis, and Damian Lillard. Um, if you were going to quibble with any of those, who would be your quibbles? Quibbling with those being ahead of Mello? Yeah. Um, I guess maybe Kyrie and Lillard. Uh, yeah, that's what I was going to say, too. Like, it, I would the, the guys those, that he has the best argument are, for being in front of, I think those are the two. I would imagine those two are the next guys, the next two guys probably in some order, probably Kyrie and then, and then Lillard, I would guess. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they don't play the same position, but I would see those guys as sort of operating a, a sort of on a similar plane. Uh, they're production is mostly on the offensive side not great defenders um the team's offense has to bend to them a little bit um although that's maybe not quite true in the case of Kyrie but he's also probably not uh as productive in in a um quantitative sense as he was before LeBron just because he you know he's got the ball less he's taking less shots that kind of stuff maybe right. he's more efficient but not sort of overall more productive um, so I guess I would I would probably point to those two guys um, but yeah I, I mean I think probably Blake Griffin and Clay Thompson probably could be placed ahead of Carmelo and I wouldn't bat an eye at, at either of those um, Griffin seems especially low I would imagine that a lot of that has to do with him missing so much time last season yeah, but, when he uh, was playing last year before he got hurt and then the nonsense he was incredible and the, the, his playoffs two years ago um, yeah. you know that Spurs series and then the series against the Rockets I mean he was incredible like that was um, right he looked like was, one of the three best guys in the league d- during that yeah, playoffs that was, Blake at, that was Blake at his like hypothetical ceiling and we got to watch it for I don't know whatever it was three three and a half weeks um, and uh, yeah, it seemed like he had really jumped a tier and so hopefully he's able to get back to that not just for the Clippers but you know, sort of for the, for the general NBA landscape. Yeah, just for, like, personal yeah. enjoyment. Yeah. I, I, I feel like... Um, that's good for everybody. I feel like Knicks fans would would quibble also with the two other small forwards ahead of him, with Kawhi and Paul George. But to me, <laughs> it's just like the two of them are so much better defensively that, that even if you accept that he is a better and more versatile scorer than they are and a more efficient one than George, at least, I don't think he's more efficient than Kawhi at this point, the, the, the way those two defend, ha, you, they have to be ahead of him to me. Yeah, I don't think there's really a question there. Those... Um but yeah, I mean, I, I think probably both of those guys are 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 not the offensive players that that Mello is, but their defense is so much better than his that it seems like looking at net impact, it, it wouldn't even be a question for me. Right, um, me either. But I would imagine that 
people listening to this podcast will be like, why is Carmelo not ahead of Kawhi and Paul George? And we had to touch on that reason why. We'll just point them back to that 2013 playoff series, right? That was when Paul George uh, proved that he was better than Melo, right? Well, yeah, that's what happens. If your team wins, you're the better player than the guy on the other team. Everybody knows that. Yeah, forever and ever. Yeah, so Carmelo's better than Paul Pierce forever. Knicks fans can be happy. <laughs> that's uh, our our friend Kirk. Uh, was a Kirk Henderson has been melting down for like a day and a half because somebody on Twitter is telling him that Carmelo is better in the all-time rankings than Dirk and Kirk is a big Mavericks fan and literally for a day and a half he just keeps arguing with himself and I told him earlier today I'm like why do you keep doing this like you're just getting aggravated it he was oh man He's, like, freaking out out there. And, like, look, who cares who's better one way or the other? But it's just it's been funny to watch uh, for the last couple days. Yeah, I can't I can't tie too much emotional investment to these sort of rankings of players because uh, everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got something to argue about. There's there's no way to win any of these arguments. You know, Carmelo said he's you know he's higher than fifteen. You know, uh, how do we disprove him? You know, we've got our opinions. He's got his. I don't know that there's any. Uh, you know, no matter how deep you you sink into the statistics, I don't know if there's any way to win these arguments. So no, uh, there's no you, way to there's no way to win. Any argument on the internet. Yeah. That's, you once you accept that, your life is a lot more peaceful. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, that, that's as good a place as any to wrap things up. Ian, thank you so much, man. Do you have anything that you want to promote before I let you go? Uh, yeah, fan sided NBA. We've got some good stuff coming. Uh, our season we've been rolling through season previews, uh, and there's uh, there's some more good stuff uh, coming uh, over the next couple weeks. We're excited um, to to uh, really really uh, some juice behind the fan sided NBA coverage this year. I can't talk too much about uh, what we have planned, but I'm excited for what's coming next. So hopefully, people will hang in there with us and check it out. Uh, yeah, and and a personal plug here. Uh, this is my fourth uh, locked on podcast appearance. I've also been on Locked On Bucks, Locked On Warriors, and Locked On Cavs. And I'm hoping to make the entire circuit this year. So if Locked On listeners uh, can, help, uh, can help pump me pump me up, I'm gonna shoot for all thirty before the season's over. That would be awesome. And you know, the one thing we can say about fan sided though, without getting into too much detail, I'll be doing stuff this season as well. So that should yeah. be. Jared's going to be writing some stuff for us. We're very excited about that. Big win for everybody. Yeah, people can be looking forward to that as well. You can tell me how much it, how terrible it is. Uh, anyway. I will say with with confidence that Jared is one of the fifteen best NBA columnists <laughs> on the internet. At least one of the fifteen best. At least one of the fifteen best Jared Dubins. Uh, that's definitely for sure. Um, and you can follow Ian on Twitter at Hickory High, by the way. Uh, you can follow the podcast at Locked On Knicks or me at JADubin5. If you want to get in touch, that's the best way. Or you can send an email to LockedOnKnicks at gmail.com or to my personal email address, which you can find in the bio of JADubin5. I will be back with another podcast tomorrow. Thanks for listening. <laughs>